Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Cotton Club crew. This is episode four of our new show. I'm joined by Joe, Reed, and Jack. Kendall could not be here with us today, nor could Chris. Um, Kendall will actually be recording a solo episode soon, talking a lot more basketball portal stuff, but we will talk a bit about that today with the news that Robert Jennings has recommitted to Texas Tech. He was down to Tech and Virginia. I think actually with the timing of this, he ended up canceling his visit to Virginia to make this announcement. So huge win for the new staff, a kind of a proof of concept win. We'll talk about that, what it means, and some of the implications for other recruiting battles Tech is looking into, guys that they may want to consider. We're also going to talk a lot of baseball. Tech would win the series over North Dakota State. They just finished the second game of a two-game series against Stanford on the road. That's top 10 Stanford. Um... We'll talk about what that means and where the program stands right now as injuries continue to pile up in particular. So let's start actually on the baseball front first since that just happened about you know an hour ago as of the recording time tonight. Uh, Jack, I'm going to go to you first with this one. Split against Stanford. It was a big win today. Uh, easily one of the more impressive wins considering it was both on the road and by just the margin of victory against any Power 5, Power 6 school, however you define that in baseball. What do you think about this team's direction at kind of this, it's not the midpoint of the year, we're well past that, but at the kind of the, 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 the midpoint of Big 12 play and the, the home stretch heading towards um, postseason play? Well, I think uh, with this team especially, you know, anytime you can get a series win on the road, that's a it's a big positive step forward. Um, whether, you know, it's against you know, a conference opponent or a non-conference opponent. And in this case, uh, Stanford, who's ranked in the top 10, uh, I think they're around eight. So uh, anytime that you can get a win against a really solid uh, baseball club like that, you know, you're going to take those when you can get them. Um, You know, it's, it's a series split uh, against Stanford. You know, they lost yesterday and won today. Um, won today in pretty uh, you know pretty convincing fashion uh, with a final of 11 to two um, I, I think that this is a, a big step um, I to me at least it cancels out the Friday night loss um, it cancels out the Friday night loss against North Dakota State um, I think in that one you kind of got caught overlooking an opponent and probably probably looking forward to a top 10 you know road series especially out in in in, uh you know even though it is northern california but out in california um i think that now you're pretty you like the direction they're going if they can keep up the momentum from today um you know unfortunately yesterday it was a little bit of more is the same uh or you know, more of the same with this team, you know, uh, they jumped out to a four nothing lead after the top of the second and they didn't touch the board again. Um, you know, you have Stanford scoring three in the bottom of the second and then one in each of the fourth, fifth and sixth innings. Um, and you know, you, you hate to, you hate to pin it on one guy, but I mean, you you got you have veterans that are in here losing games for you on the pitching staff. So, um, you know, I think that um, if you can keep up the momentum from today, because today today was super impressive. Uh, you know, you go out and you put up three runs in three different innings. You know, you put up three in the third, three in the seventh, and then three in the top of the ninth uh, for good measure and. Uh, you got a good start from Zane Petty. Uh, a little wild with control today at three walks, but um, you had a lot of good relief appearances. You had good relief appearance from uh, Ryan Free. Of course, you got a good three-inning outing from 
uh, Brandon Beckel today, who ended up getting the win, uh, four strikeouts over three innings, only through 35 pitches, so he's open for the weekend uh, in Norman. Um, but yeah, just draw your attention to the weekend series against OU. Um, a lot of people kind of were down on them because they lost a lot of guys to the draft. Uh, let's not let's not forget this is a team who was in the national championship game last year. So uh, this is a this is a really good team, and they have a really good club. They're coached very well, and a lot of people thought they were going to fall off pretty far, but um, they didn't fall off as far as people thought they would. Um, this is a squad that's beaten TCU in a series at, in Norman. So uh, this is no walk in the park by any means. Um, this this kind of just adds into that front-loaded, heavy front-loaded uh, Big 12 schedule that we've mentioned um, so much on this pod that, uh, you know, tech's in, the, tech's in the middle of it, you know. And they're, they're towards the end of that front-loaded part. Um, should have some easier games coming up against a, against a lesser Baylor squad. You have three of those at home. Uh, next weekend, but uh, you know this coming weekend, uh, you need to take care of business uh, in Norman. Let's let's talk about this in a different way because a lot of the times in baseball, the thought process is you know, uh, or a lot of times in sports, the thought process is that it's it's about who you beat in baseball because of how RPI works and because it's it's baseball, it's not possible to win every game. It becomes a lot more important to think about who can you not lose to. So, Reed, I'm going to go to you now. You're looking at the lo- the, the back half of our schedule. Um, who are the threats that Tech should actually be like, okay, if you, you want to win the series, you want to win every series, but you drop a game here or there, no big deal. And who are the games where it's just like, if you lose one of these games, you're kind of in hot water? Yeah, I, I think it, it kind of began uh, this past weekend with with your North Dakota State um, on, the, on that Friday game. That's, you know record-wise and against who they play and stuff, uh, it's really not a team you need to be losing to at home, uh, especially in the fashion that we, that we lost to them in. I think the final was like, you know, 8-1 eight, eight to one or 8-2 to two or something like that. and uh, Stuff like that, if you're trying to build a resume and kind of further your way along and trying to host a regional, stuff like that's really not going to look very good. Um, you know, looking, looking down the road, I, I think you got a, like I said, a pretty favorable schedule. Uh, once you get past Oklahoma uh, this weekend uh, in, in Norman, you got a homestand against Baylor. I would like to think we could sweep them in, in Lubbock uh, with how they've looked this year. And then uh, a couple of road trips in K-State and West Virginia. Uh, I'm not really particularly worried about K-State. West Virginia's I don't want to say scares me, but I don't know. I feel like they can pull something out of the hat if they need to. So uh, I don't think either one of those would necessarily be uh, walks in the park. But at the same time, we should – knock on wood, be able to win every series we got left um, all the way through the end of the season when we uh, we, we go off uh, against Kansas uh, heading in the Big 12 tournament. And, you know, I, I like to think we don't really need to um, kind of play our way through the Big 12 tournament in order to get a better seed because uh, we're not really infamous for playing well in the Big 12 tournament. But, you know, at the same time, usually at that point, we kind of have our seeding locked in and um, stuff's more than kind of set in stone unless we went out and won the whole thing. But uh, at that point, I don't really think it's it's necessarily needed for us if, if we're able to kind of take care of business throughout the season um, and you kind of do what we need to do. Uh, one one series I'd like to highlight, honestly, is uh, Sam Houston uh, later in the year. I, I Honestly, if I'm being completely honest, I don't know anything about Sam Houston this year, but uh, within the last few years, obviously, when they took us down in Lubbock in the regional um, that, uh, you know, Sam Houston's a good baseball team. They're known for their baseball team uh, and football as well. But uh, they, they're always really solid. Got a bunch of good arms and good guys at the plate that can uh, can score some runs. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, skip over them very lightly. I would kind of tread uh, lightly, like I said, with, with them and, you know, take one thing at a time and uh, don't look over them. They're in the middle of the Big 12 schedule, so. Uh, so I guess uh, I'd kind of pick a sleeper if that's kind of what you're what you're getting at. I'd probably go with Sam Houston. Look, you know there 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 comes a point in every baseball season where yeah, like you you are who you are. Um, you know where you can always improve. Oh, you got hot very late last year, but you know it's usually the case that you start to settle in. Now, Tex injuries have changed that. I think the team arguably 
you know, has been getting a little bit better, but the injuries just start to pile up and it, it limits your forward growth. But at this point in the year, I think Tech is good enough that every remaining series should be a win. You should not drop any of these series. Now, that isn't to say it's going to be easy, especially a team like Oklahoma, who, um, you know, is they just it, it, they don't you don't forget how to win that fast as OU was, you know, very close to winning a national title. That kind of winning mentality doesn't go away. They know what it's like to get hot late. But I will say that the the series that scares me the most is Baylor because, you know, I Baylor's really, 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 really bad. I mean, they are really, really, really bad. And you just you cannot afford to drop a game there. Um you just you just can't. It it has to be, you know, a win and it has to be a sweep. It, it just it just does that that they're like two fifteen I think in RPI last I saw you know like that that Tech last year ended up a three seed specifically because in in series like that they didn't get the job done on Sunday in particular that was that was their their toughest day they had the chance to sweep Texas got blown out in the final game dropped a game against Baylor I think they did against um, Kansas State as well or somebody else and that that's what held you back that in the midweek losses. Losing to North Dakota State's an example of just that's unacceptable. You cannot lose those games. You you have to sweep where you can because you're probably not going to sweep everybody. You know somebody's going to sneak up and beat you. It's baseball, and your pitching staff's been less than stellar at times. They've been really good at moments, but they've also had some really tough, especially closing games out. Um, now. That being said, if you win every series, you take care of business, a regional host is not out of the question. But you 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 have to take care of business and you have to win. That getting swept by Texas is an anchor. You know, Texas is a pretty good team this year, but they're not what they have been. They're not like a top 10 program. You got swept. That is a hole you're digging out of. Now you got to take care of business down the stretch. Splitting Stanford's fantastic. You know, that, that that's a good baseball club. You did it on the road. That's a huge step forward. But you got to take care of business against everybody else. Joe, I'm going to go to you now with, with a question. We've seen a lot of injuries this year, so a lot of guys are having to step up to make stuff happen. Let me ask just simply um, for you, with all we're we're about at the uh, we're about at the point where we we know most everybody's strength or weaknesses. We've seen a lot from everybody. Everybody's gotten plenty of bats. Who's gotten any playing time? Um, Joe, who is the guy who stood out to you the most as being maybe the biggest shocker this year, in a, in a positive way? Are we talking pitching? Are we talking batting altogether? Anything in particular? Just. Just, just total team wide, and it, the, the 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 unsung MVP, as, as as it were. Oh man, there's there's a handful. I mean, obviously, first easy choice would be Gavin Cash. I mean, look what he's done. I mean, leading most statistical categories in the Big Twelve. I mean, he's a feared hitter once he steps into the plate, and that's a guy you kind of want up there. And I think that's kind of like the easy choice because you know he kind of has that resume right now, or at least statistically. Um, but a guy like, um, I know he's a young guy, but I'm going to say uh, Gage Harrelson. I mean, little spark plug. I mean, he's a lightning bolt, man. He just, is there, has there not been, I mean, looking back at all the other freshmen um, players of the year that Tex had, you know, over the last couple, I mean, I put Gage right on up there with, those guys, the Gabe Holes, the Hudson Whites, um, Josh, you know, like he brings that kind of, he, he just, he has it, you know, he, he steps into the plate, he earned his position, he fought and he's, he's earned it and he's batting three now. I mean, how, when was the last time we had a freshman batting that high in Tadlock's team? I mean, like consistently without like falling back into the order. So I think, with Gage playing how Gage has been playing, I think he's one of those guys that you could probably rely on him and Gavin. Um, you also have Tracer's defense, I mean, which is is elite. I mean, the kid should still be in high school right now, you know. Um, Hudson White, you know, some of those other guys that are actually getting to play. Beckle on the hump is is such a huge, huge deal. Like, I, I can't explain enough. I mean, he has he has that factor that, you know, Gage has as well. And he's just, you know, he doesn't care. You know, you he got the ejection. He got 
you know, the warnings. I mean, he's that guy like to pump people up. So I think between, you know, the mix of that group between Gage and Gavin, for sure, I would probably, you know, put my money on those guys, you know, moving forward to push us to where we need to go in the rest of the season and then moving forward in, in the, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you you talk about youth. It's obviously a critical factor this year. Um, you know, Tech is young, and that's not an excuse, by the way. I, I want to be clear here. You're young and beat up, but you, you, you play with the hand you're dealt with. But it is reality. It does color analysis. Um, and it's unfortunate, because I think last year we kind of felt young and beat up, too. And it, it, it is just true that for right now the youth movement's kind of carrying the way in Lubbock. Jack. I want to go one direction with this and the pitching staff. And what I want to talk about is particularly the, the relief. Now, there's a lot of reasons not to have loved some of the bullpen outings. A lot of guys have come out and struggled um, in big moments. And there have been, you know, the, I, I mentioned the Texas series, which is kind of looming large over your schedule, your results. Um, you know, those two walk-offs were both just the result of poor pitching uh, in the final inning after a kind of a big comeback. But let's focus on the positives because – there have been some guys who have shown some stuff out of the pen. Who's been a guy that you've liked coming out, um, out, out to in some big moments? Who's Who's been the guy that you think has the most potential to kind of become a true kind of closer? Well, I'll, for the sake of, you know, switching it up, I'll go with someone other than Brandon Beckel. Um, but as Joe mentioned, you know, Brandon Beckel uh, has been a star. Um He's been everything that this team needs, um, you know, when he's been able to play. And uh, you saw it again today. I mean, today was a great, you know, uh, just example of it. Um, But, you know, for the sake of switching it up, um, you know, I've been really, I've been really impressed with some of the stuff that Ethan Coombs has thrown um, some of the innings he's eaten up. I've, I've been a real big fan of what uh, Brendan Lysick has been able to do. Um, I don't hate Damian Bravo on the bump either. Uh, you know, everyone is, is you know pra- singing his praises for his hitting when he gets in the game, but yeah, I think that you know on the hill he's got a lot of upside as well. Um, Ryan Free is your other guy. Ryan Free is uh, you know going to have uh, a lot of the get a lot of praise here from me uh mostly because uh of his high appearance numbers you know he's he has 15 appearances he's thrown 22 innings um he's kept the era relatively low at that 327 mark um so to me he's He's been pretty much the guy other than uh, Beckel, right? I mean, Beckel has been outstanding. He's he's come in 11 times. He's 4-0 and and has a 0.79 ERA in 22 innings. That's pretty good for a relief pitcher. Um, again, I'm not trying to play, co- play coach or, you know, be the manager to say what's what here, what needs to happen, but... Um, I think that you see a lot of these guys um, uh, not necessarily being overworked, um, but I think some of these guys are being utilized in the wrong way. Um, I think that there are some guys that are being thrown in some longer inning situations that are a little more comfortable, you know, pitching in one to two inning sets, spurts, you know, six outs. You know, let's get six outs. Uh, but some of these guys that would rather get six outs, you know, are, are forced to or being asked, I should say, to, you know, to go get 15 or 18 outs. And that's kind of not their game. Um, I think you're seeing that a lot with guys like Trendon Parrish. And um, I just I and I don't get me wrong. I love I love what Trendon Parrish brings on the mound. Uh, I like his fire. I like his, you know, his work ethic. You know his his will to win. You know the emotion is there, and I and I love seeing that. But I don't know about y'all, but I loved seeing that shit last year when he had that bleached ass hair and he was you know getting in underneath the other team's skin just for the ninth inning and just slamming the door shut. It seemed that he embraced that role so well 
and he and he used it so well, and he just ran with it, and he was great at it. Um, and just to throw it away over the off season because you need another like some sort of reliability on the mound. Um, I just I don't agree with it personally. Um, I think you've kind of gotten the same thing with Brendan Gurton. You know, Brendan Gurton was your long relief guy, your your emergency guy that you could rely on to come in and throw four to five innings just to just to right the ship. Um, but now you're you're throwing them out there at the start of the game. Um, and granted, a lot of these kids. Granted, if you're if you're a pitcher in college, you most likely started in high school and pretty much started your whole life because you could you were just better than everyone else um but the thing is now you're somewhere where you're not better than everyone else and it's time to kind of it's kind of like playing your role right being a team player by embracing your role and i and i think that a lot of these guys like i mentioned in trenton parish trenton parish killed his role last year he was great until he got hurt um and, and it just kind of sucks that he, he's not being granted that same opportunity. Um, but to circle back around to everything, I would I would say, you know, uh, Ryan Freeze up there for me. Um, don't want to go without giving uh, Jace Lopez some love also. He's been really good. Um, can't wait to see more of Derek Bridges to see where, he, uh, where he's at, you know, after his injury and coming back and everything. You know, he's already thrown three times. Uh so I'm just uh, – these guys have a lot of potential. And, um, you know, with with everything that's happening and all the injuries and stuff, uh, all these guys should be showing up to the, to the ballpark every day expecting to get that call. And, you know, I think as long as they are expecting that call, I think they should perform. Yeah, I mean – it's hard to say because Tim Tadlock is obviously one of the great coaches of our game, but there have been some individuals, myself included, I think Jack is, would also agree to this, who wonder about the pitching decisions that are being made at this program, who wonder if the you know slew of injuries, the constant struggle to find someone who can throw consistently out of the pen in big moments, um, the fact that this team has been held back for years by the lack of pitching um, in big stretches. I mean, last year, if you guys recall, the pitching was the problem. It was the same thing. And the one weekend the pitching strung it together was the regional, and the offense just completely vanished. But otherwise, the pitching was just really bad. We had the same conversation week in, week out on this podcast about, you know, on Sunday, who the hell are you throwing? Because you can't throw the guys you've got out there, and it seemed like everybody we sent out there just couldn't get it done. This year, you know, you've seen at times there is not a reliable you know, starter to go, or excuse me, reliever to go to in some of these big moments. There just, there just isn't. And that's unfortunate. And it's just been kind of been the case for years is maybe you've got one or two starters that you really like, or somebody gets hurt. It just, it just feels like we're consistently thin at this position. And it is the area of this program you ask the most questions about is the pitching because you can't, complain with the hitting results to some degree you know I would like the team to be better offensively outside of Lubbock but the, the, the results speak for themselves you consistently hit the ball well and and I mean other than if we're, we're being honest in Omaha we have not hit very well but that that ballpark is extremely defensive orientated which is why the pitching problems crop up in, in the biggest moments um but you know it, it's hard to question much else about this program but you do have to ask yourself like what is the thing holding us back? It's the pitching. How do we fix it? How do we address it? And do we need to talk about going to find a new pitching coach? You know, Gardner's been there a long time. Tadlock has a lifetime contract. I find it hard to believe he's going to get rid of his friend, his probably his arguably the closest guy to him on the staff. But I'm tired of the same thing holding this program back. This program is in position to win championships. That's that's what it's in position for. This program is in position to win championships. And to do that, you have to have a deep bullpen. And it feels like if we lose an arm, we're just screwed, right? Like, it, we're just completely screwed year in, year out. So, you know, if you're asking what are the concerns, that's the concern. Because, again, you're, I think Gavin, Gavin Cash is on top of, 
name, insert offensive category. You know, you, most of your starters are hitting 300 plus. You, you're hit, you're hitting bombs all over the place. You're scoring so many runs. And if you host a regional and a super, it's hard to imagine that anybody could come into Lubbock and feel good about knocking you out just because you're going to outscore them. But I think what was the stat after the TCU game? You allowed like 34 and scored 37. Like that's ridiculous, right? Like that that's just a stupid stat. And guys like Beckel cannot carry it alone. Free has done a fantastic job. But you just you need to be consistent. Everybody's got to be consistent. And that means that you know it's time to just kind of ask like why does it feel like we we lose a guy and the whole the whole the wheels just come off? Why does it feel like we're always two arms short? Is it can't be a recruiting thing. We're recruiting at a high level, maybe not like Texas level in terms of pitching recruiting. We're not the bluest of blue bloods like they are, but top twenty-five, top fifteen recruiting regularly. We can get transfers to come here, and I want to win the national title. Tim Tadlock deserves to win a national title at Texas Tech. He's built this program into a position it can do it, and that's the holdup. Um, you know, I've liked at times some of the guys' stuff. I really like Mason Molina. I think when he's on, he's one of the better pitchers in the conference. Um, obviously, it would have been great to see Blessy stay healthy. Um, and Beckel is, you know, you guys remember the Arkansas call the cops? Beckel is playing that role at times. Heck, has had a guy, I think it was Shedder a few years ago, who came out and did that for us. You just you just got to be better. At the, you just got to be better overall in the staff. That's, that's the difference between this team winning the Big 12 rolling into Omaha and falling out again in the regional. That's the difference. It's just consistent relief pitching. And, you know, I will give a shout out to one guy. Andrew Devine had a bad moment against Texas. That was just, it was just unfortunate, but he is, and his career is shown a lot of growth. I mean, you can ask Jack about this. We've had many a chat about the, the, the amount of innings they seem to want to give Devine. And he has had a lot more good moments lately. Not every moment's great, but he's had a lot more consistent where he's able to get you a few outs um, and, and really move it along. So I want to give him a shout-out because we have been hard as hell on him during this career. And it's he, he has been a constant source of conversation for us. So got to give the shout-out there for a guy who I think is, is at times looked much improved. Not all the all, time, but at times. Also, Shedder, yes, but you're thinking of Sublet. Sublet, that's who I'm thinking of, who played that role for us. Beckled this year doing it. Because, uh, but even then, right? Like, think about the years we had, like, Sublet was doing this. It felt like if he was not thrown in relief, he lost the fucking game. Like, it, it was really that bad. Um, he was fantastic, though. I and missed the like, shit out yeah, of that guy. Taylor Floyd, too, I feel like. Yeah, I, I missed that. Speaking of guys that I think didn't get enough co- props, I missed the shit out of Sublet. He was fantastic. Never met, like, a cooler cu- uh, customer out of the bullpen. Just absolutely just believed he was going to get any out he faced. Um, it's, it's my relief pitchers are some of the most, that's like the biggest, like head case position in sports is to be a closer. You got to be either got to be super, super calm, like just completely ice blooded, or you've got to be the opposite. You got to be a total hothead, like a crazy person. There doesn't seem to be an in-between that works. Um, you know, you, you got to be kind of insane. So we're going to move on now from baseball to talk basketball. Joe, I'll go to you first with this one. The news just came out about an hour and a half ago of Robert Jennings recommitting to Texas Tech. He would pick Tech over Virginia. As I mentioned, I believe he canceled his visit with Virginia, so he did not visit. So the staff got this one done, came down to it. I mean, Virginia is no slouch. That That is a serious program on the recruiting trail. We all know their last when they won the national title, even coming off of a disappointing finish for them, that's a battle to win. And that, that, that speaks both to the level of talent Jennings is, that programs like Virginia were, were seriously hunting him. And it is a proof of concept for the staff. But let's talk about now the remaining guys in the portal. Amac's gone, but Fisher's another big name, and Bacho's a big name. Joe, do you feel like... Uh, and, and K.J. Allen's also in the portal for... I, I don't want to pretend we're forgetting him. I just I tend to think K.J.'s gone. He just never really seemed to fit in to the program. But... Um, Joe, you're looking at a guy like Fisher. How are you feeling about him, or maybe even Bacho, either one of them, about them staying in Lubbock? Do you think that they're that the, we we retain these guys, or do you think okay, you know, those guys are kind of already on the outside looking in? We'll, let's go find other options. You know, it's actually really interesting. I've um actually had the pleasure of meeting Elijah Fisher um, right whenever he came to Lubbock, and I've met him a handful of times whenever I had the privilege of. 
um, touring the Womble. Um, so he's a really good kid. Um, I can't say anything about him. I know he has a camp with him. I know whenever I saw him a handful of times at the Womble, he had a relative there with him to get acclimated to being so far away from being home. I would really, really love to keep him here. Um, I know that there hasn't been any, I mean, but that goes for everybody else in the program. I mean, there hasn't been any, any kind of indication that anybody else is leaving kind of deal. So everything's been kind of hushed, but I mean, he's actually entered his name in the transfer portal and then has said nothing, you know, there's no visit scheduled. There's no anything scheduled. So I, I tend to believe in, I mean, this may just be the the tech in me just, you know, hoping he's just going to, to stay, stay his horse here with us. Um, just because everything's quiet, I think Grant could win him over. I mean, Grant just beat out Tony Bennett for Robert Jennings, and hell, that's that's a that's a big W all by its own. Um, so I I really like Elijah's upside, and I think if anybody's watching a bit of Tech basketball towards the latter end of the year, you could see the growth and the maturity in him, and how he's ready to take that next step. And I think that that would be huge for us going forward. Bacho's kind of interesting as well because his, his camp has been quiet as well. You haven't heard anybody talking to him or Tobias, uh, for example, putting anybody out like a top five or people have contacted him or, you know, asked for his services. I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't mind having them both back. I, I like the Fisher um, coming back a little bit more than Bacho because, you know, Bacho never, really stayed healthy and that was his problem with Arizona as well. But, you know, I'll, I'll take it um, for what it's worth because just because they've both been quiet, but give, give me Fisher over Bacho. And I think Bacho is finding himself a new home um, here in the next couple of weeks. I think it's May 11th is the deadline for people to, so we have, you know, that countdown's begun, you know, for, for kids to start making some moves here. So, We'll see what happens, but I I believe, or at least I really hope that Fisher comes back to us, and I think Bacho uh, will be gone. Fisher's certainly a cat I really want back. I really wanted Fisher and Jennings to stay. I would like all these guys to stay, to be honest. I'm never a big believer in like using this as like, oh, it's clean house and get new guys. I think the best programs consistently are those who can build and you know that it's changed some. Kansas State is a formula. You turn the whole fucking thing over and go play. But I, I like programs that are built. I think Tech's best teams were were built by the guys who stayed. You know, even Mark Adams is one great team. Sweet Sixteen. Most of the key cogs on that team were guys who returned from the previous year. Um, so it's the national title team. I think was the deepest and oldest roster I've ever seen Tech have in terms of just you. Other than Zaire Smith, I think almost everybody was back. It was just a great year. You added some old transfers, and the whole thing flowed. So I'm not one of those guys like ah, oh, would shove these guys out the door. Look, Bacho got hurt. He lost a lot of weight. He was in a bad way. You don't know. Also know some of the stuff going on behind the scenes impacting him. I think he can perform at this level. I don't think the lack of ability is there. And I think he demonstrated early on in the season that like, he has the stuff. It's just he's got to stay healthy. And I think, you know, I, I don't know exactly what Grant McCaslin is going to run. We know it'll be probably pretty defensive orientated. We just don't know to what degree he's going to, you know, mess with tempo. It's been stated that, you know, part of what he did at UNT was based on the athletes he had. So I would love to get Bacho back. I think having a good dominant big can only help you. Um, Fisher's a fantastic player in terms of just raw, untapped potential. He's got more than I think anybody else on the roster. You know, Pop Isaacs is is a great talent. Don't get me wrong. I think Pop Isaacs was your most talented young player um, out of the freshman group. But in terms of potential, Fisher's got, I think, more than anyone's. I think his shot was not falling all year, but he's athletic as all get out, extremely explosive. He He showed off in moments just everything he can do, and I really want him to stay. And winning the battle of Jennings is massive because I think that helps you with these other guys. You know, Jennings had real options. Like I said, Virginia is not a joke of a program. Like Joe said, you ever, you know, think about, like, what kind of coaches are going to be tough to beat on the trail? Guys like Tony Bennett are fucking hard to beat on the trail because they're going to slap a national title ring down on the table. They're going to they're gonna point to that banner, and they're going to be tough to persuade because even though they every other year it feels like they're just awful in the tournament, they're really good in the ACC. And that's tough to recruit against, and I think that helps. I think you're more likely to keep Fisher. I think Bacho 
doesn't like the idea of playing for another extremely defensive coach who's going to ask him to switch a lot. I don't think that is going to be for him. Um, I think you end up retaining Fisher, especially if Jennings coming back. But I'd like, I, again, I'd like them all to come back. I just, I think it's easier to retain guys and add one or two key cogs than it is to flip a roster. You can do it now. And this is going to bring me to the topic of conversation I'm going to next. But it is difficult. Now, Reed, I'm going to open this discussion up to something kind of interesting, which is a thought I've been, you know, noodling around with. And I wanted to, to save the topic instead of writing about it for the pod because I think it's a good discussion piece. Jerome Tang takes a Kansas State team that was pretty much universally considered a laughing stock this year in terms of the quality of roster. They were picked to finish last. I think some people thought they might not win a Big 12 game. Um, you know, they, they, they were bad, bad on paper. Just god-awful on paper. He had some pieces. He messes with the roster. He, he coaches them up. Turned out to be one of the Big 12's best. Did it in a year. So let me ask you this. Grant McCaslin's coming in. Guys are in and out. We don't fully know what the roster position is going to look like. For instance, Pop could announce he's going to leave any minute now. I don't think that's likely, but it could happen. Um, what are the reasonable expectations to see a program flipped in this new NIL era? Is it reasonable to think Tech should go back to being competitive in one year? Or is this still you know, a two, three-year project? What, what's like your... I guess the tolerance level for for a slow rebuild in the new era in which the portal and NIL make it so easy to go get guys. I think there's kind of kind of a numerous amount of factors you, you need to weigh into. I think in tech situation um, with with McCaslin, he's never really coached at a, at a Power Five school. Obviously, he's been at North Texas and been in D one and, and played larger schools. Obviously, but. Um, he's never coached in the Big 12 uh, for for a full slate, so um, it's tough because I think this roster, if you get everybody back, or you know, maybe even if you don't get Elijah and Bacho back uh, and KJ Allen, if you just keep who's on on paper is on your roster right now um, and add a couple more pieces, I, I would like to think we would at least improve from what we did last year, uh, simply because you have kind of a core of guys that played a full schedule through a the big 12 already so um and you know you'd like to think those guys would would improve and everything they did in a year ago so um but also if you think about it i mean there's there's teams like kentucky and um and, and, and other schools like that to really just kind of roll with five freshmen uh, a large majority of the time maybe not at every position but there's a, there's a large portion of freshmen and transfers that come in uh, every year and the roster's flipped nine times out of ten um, you look at Kansas, you know, obviously they just won the championship a year ago and only returned really one to two key guys off of a, off of a championship squad and then they flounder in, in the second round, but they also won the Big 12. So uh, just, it's, it's interesting to see kind of what characteristics are within the, um, within the program at that, at that kind of point in time because um, like, like you mentioned, Kansas State, I, I know people thought they were going to be awful. I didn't think they were going to be as bad as you know what they're predicted at but uh, neither did i think that they would uh, kind of pop off the way they did so uh, it's just a testament to what tang was able to do and um, i mean i think if if tang's able to do that at kansas state i think anybody can do that uh, pretty much anywhere and that's no knock on kansas state but um, i don't think many people consider them like a powerhouse basketball program by any means so um i think it's it's an interesting look um and again it's going to depend on what characteristics you got. And I think in Tech's case, I would I would like to see some, I don't want to say major, but a decent amount of improvement from a year ago, whether we got, um, you know, the, the full group back or not. I, th- I think that's definitely something that should be the case. But at the same time, I think you got to give McCaslin a couple of seasons to get his guys in. And um, if he doesn't, you know, if these guys stay around that we got right now, at least give him time to, uh, coach him and and get them um, kind of developed into the the plan that he wants to put forward uh, outside of what was already in place here. So, yeah, I I think that the the expectation game is just different. It in the new world, it just is, and it's not even necessarily that it's that fair to coaches. Because, like I said, I think the best tech teams are the ones that got old, deep, and experienced. Um, and then added, you know, one or two key cogs a year to kind of fill out holes. 
and the worst tech teams are the ones where we've had to do like huge roster churning like we did this past offseason. But it is reality that you can go get four to five guys who are seriously ready to compete. And if you can mesh them together as a team, you can win a lot of basketball games. It, it isn't easy to do that, but it is possible. And that's that's the reality of the situation for Tech this year is that you're going to be adding somewhere between three to four guys, most likely. We, we'll see at the end of the day what this actually turns into, but that that's the most likely case. And I think the expectation will be that you are an NCAA tournament team and beyond in one year. Whereas in the past, you know, you might have waited two, three years to see those kind of results. Uh, but you're just you, the the tolerance level for failure is just not going to be there. That isn't to say that like you got to be you know KU next year or Kansas State, but middle of the Big Twelve, fourth or fifth, make the tournament, win in round one. I think that's going to be the minimum expectation, and then build from there. Um, and that that's even me speaking, trying to be reasonable. I think there are going to be plenty of people who think that if you go get the right guys, you should expect to make the Sweet Sixteen right off the bat. And that's, you know, that's the world we live in. There just isn't the same amount of comfort afforded to coaches as being new. Um, And McCaslin's getting into this game pretty late, which is, you know, the worst part of this because credit to him. He did it for the right reason. He was winning at UNT, but he he is jumping into this a bit late. The staff isn't built yet. You know, they're going to be working fast and hard. It's going to be a long offseason for those guys. But it is just reality. Um, I, I think that, fans are just not tolerant anymore football is really the last football and baseball sort of have that tolerance level baseball in particular probably the last bastion of like okay we'll wait three years to see the results but i just think the amount of time you've got to 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 prove your concept as a coach is is shrinking so fast now that there are god i think it was like three thousand people in the transfer portal or some just absurd figure you know, it, it, everybody and their dog is in the portal right now, so you you have options aplenty. And I think that McCaslin is going to be up against it in year one to prove that he was the right decision because you you swung and missed probably on a few candidates behind the scenes, right? Like I I am willing to bet that Tech swung for the fences in a, in a couple of situations and didn't you know hit. Like I bet they called Jerome Tang, I bet they called Rick Patino. And they weren't able to get it done. And that isn't to say McCaslin's like a settling hire. He, he was realistic. He's a great coach, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, not taking away from him. I just mean that like, you know, I also think one angle of this that isn't talked much is I think Kirby cannot afford to, this to, to blow up in his face. You know, Joey McGuire really wins out. That'll buy him some time. But if McGuire kind of stagnates and McCaslin fails, you're not paying a top 10 AD that kind of money just to be a fundraising vessel. You know, you're, you're, you're paying him to win. And we're not winning, and, and we don't have any trophies really to show for it other than the guy who came here before, you know, Hoka arrived. So I think there's a lot of pressure on McCaslin. I think he I think he's going to perform. I think he can do it. I just I think that it's just where we are now. You know, the, the, the pressure game is different. Jack, I'm going to go to you now with a question. Uh, let's talk about... The portal in general, because we, we've had this discussion in the past and I want to talk about it every year. It seems like it gets more and more crazy. Um, we're actually going to have a special guest to talk about this. We're going to record tomorrow with him to talk about portal. We'll ask him some of the same questions. But Jack, Miami buys a Final Four team. They, that, that, that's not a secret. They paid $2.2 million and bought a Final Four team. At the same time, FAU and San Diego State did not spend $2.2 million on a Final Four team, and both of them made it San Diego State advancing to the title. How have you watched NIL evolve since it was originally launched, and are, are you concerned about the direction we're going, or is this kind of just like, ah, it is what it is until we decide to pay players? You know, there's two ways you can really kind of go about this in, in my point of view. Uh, first, the the question being, are are you worried about the direction this is going? Yeah, uh, bluntly, yes. Uh, I think it started this year, and I don't think I'll be out of line. And you know, Mike, if you want to, uh, you know, scrub this from 
the time before we record it, that's fine. Um, but I think that when you fully rely on money to get your stuff, I think it opens yourself up um, to some real chicken shit stuff. And I think that's what we saw with Fardaw's iMac this year. Um, you know, we saw a dude that basically kind of refused to play until he got his NIL check cashed. Um, you know, he was he was sitting there. He's like, oh, well, you know, I, I just don't think that I'm ready. I just don't think that I'm going to play. And then all of a sudden we hear, oh, you know, his NIL check cashed and sure as shit, you know, two days later he's out there in the starting lineup. I think you open yourself up with this to a lot of similar stuff. Um, and you know, I, am not, I'm sure that he probably wasn't the first one to do it. And I know for damn sure he's not going to be the last one to do it. Um, but for what it's worth, this isn't the pro game. Um, for, in, in my personal stance and view, I think what the NBA and, you know, all the professional basketball should do is they should open it up to the way that it used to be. Uh, you know, if you're truly good enough to go from high school to the pros and go to the pros, um, that's fine. You can do that. Um, but if you really want to, you know, hone in on your game in certain areas, you know, go to college, get a degree, um, you know, improve your life, improve your, uh, improve your well-roundedness as a human being. Um, but... (sighs) At this point in time, I think you you have guys that are um, that are kind of abusing the system, and and the in the in the IMAX situation, you know, is the first one that comes to mind because it's obviously it hit home. You know, it happened to us. So I think that you know, obviously Kansas State had a hell of a year, uh, but they could relate in terms of Nigel Pack. You know, Nigel Pack. I'm not saying he would have stayed. Um, if he would have been offered more NIL money at Kansas State. But, um, you know, I'm sure with what he got, you know, what did he get, 750 k at, at Miami? Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure if, if they would have offered him somewhere in the ballpark, he probably would have had second thoughts about going. Um, again, I, no, no, no shot at Kansas State, no disrespect. It's just the, you know, reality of the situation. Uh, Kansas State's not going to pay 750k in NIL money to anyone. Um, you know they they wouldn't give that to Deuce Vaughn, much less uh, you know anyone on the basketball floor. Um, and I and I you know part of me hopes that Tech wouldn't either. Uh, once you get into into stuff like this, it's a slippery slope, and. You know, everyone is going to be thinking about, oh, well, you know, I might check out Miami and see what that lawyer down there who posts all over his Twitter feed, you know, what what the move is before it's actually announced. Because um, it's his money. He's He is their Dusty Womble. And, you know, do, you, do I think that with the amount of money in donors that Texas Tech Athletics has, we could probably buy a pretty damn good team? Yeah. But this isn't a pro league. These are kids in college. These are kids that their job isn't to wake up and drive to the practice facility, get treatment done, and just play ball all day and watch film. You know, these kids still have to go to class. Uh, you know, they have to study for tests. They have to do group projects. And I think that once you start paying these people like they're pro players and you start expecting you know, pro things, you might as well just throw the school part out the window. And and I don't mean to poke fun at it, but I think it, it reminds me of a really funny quote. Um, when Jameis Winston was at Florida State, you know, he had to sit out a game because he, like, failed a test or something. And after the game, they asked him about it, and he, and he, he said, I didn't come here to... He goes, I didn't come here to play school. And so... I think that's what you're getting into, really. I, I really, truly do. And, um, you know, do these players deserve some sort of compensation? I guess in in my way, you could call me old school. I think that the fact that you receive a full scholarship to college is a pretty damn good, you know, token, uh, you know, to get a degree, a, a, def- a fully paid-for degree at a four-year university, Um 
is not something to be, you know, to dismiss. And I, I truly think, I guess I'm old school in that, that, yeah, you know, if you want to give them some spending money for the weekends or, you know, if they want to be able to eat at Las Brisas and, you know, Table 82 or whatever out in Lubbock, then that's fine. Um, but, you know, get an NIL deal with them, you know, get get on a commercial and get your meals paid for or something like that. You know, I, I, I'm just kind of, I guess I'm kind of old school in this fact, but um, to answer your question, I am worried about the way that it's going. Um, I think that the Miami stuff set a really bad precedent, and I'm afraid that more more schools are just going to try and throw more money at stuff, especially in basketball, because basketball is obviously the one that has the most kids in the transfer portal. Um, but to, to solve it, I think you need to look at an FAU in San Diego State, right? Like, these guys were able to do it without shelling out the big bucks. Um, and, you know, if, if half their roster decides to transfer after a year or, or after they go to, you know, the Final Four, the National Championship game, then so be it. But I think that, um, I think that it's truly, uh, you know, it is possible to do it without the money. And it's been proven this year. Um, so personally, I think it's one of those things where it kind of resolves to your sense of character. Um, I think you can find the guys that'll do it for little to no money. Um, we did it before. We did it recently. So um, I think you can do it again. I think it can be replicated. Um, but it just takes the right type of kid to do it, the right type of player, uh, guy that's going to buy all in and just really kind of not even think about the money. I, I've i gone back and forth with NIL, because on the one hand, I don't give a shit about paying players. I just want to win, and now that you can basically legal ha- legally hand over bags of cash to players, go for it. You know, I, it's one of the reasons why, like, when we were hiring a basketball coach, some, some of the guys we were looking at had, like, ah, oh, you know, this person paid recruits, you know. And my only thought to that is, like, so? That's legal. Now, obviously, what Patino did was another thing, but, like, if it doesn't violate the law or just common decency, I don't really care what you have to do to get a guy here. You know, if you give a college kid a million dollars to get him to play at Texas Tech and he comes here and we win, I don't give a shit. I'm fine if this moves to a world in which guys like Tyler Shuck are employees of the university. I'm fine with it. I think it'd be good in some areas. It might get him better medical care long-term and allow them to unionize. It might stop some of the craziness with the amounts of money that are being thrown down if we actually step in and try to regulate this market more. But at the same time, I just can't... It's just not who I am as a person to be like, ah, he made a... He left for money. He's a bad guy. To your point about Fardos Amac. Let's be clear here. He came to Texas Tech because Kirkley Knowles gave him some six-figure deal. And then something happened with the payment of that, and he decided he didn't want to play. Jeff Goodman's a tool, but Jeff Goodman has sources. It's not a joke that he was tweeting out, like, oh, you know, he's sitting out, he's going to enter the portal. That was a thing. Somebody in that camp leaked it to him to pressure Knowles and the other boosters at Tech to cough up the money. It's it's it, the the shit's not a secret, and on the one hand, I think posting this whiny thing about oh I played hurt for my brother no he he didn't he waited until the money cash then he started to play, um, he left the first moment at the op the season. I was going to say yeah he, he and then you posted your goodbye while you and you posted it to social media while you were still on the plane. He was it, on the on, fucking it, plane. Yeah, in Kansas yeah, City. There was there was like, a edit that, too, that, right? He had a whole edit and everything. Yeah, that that was prepared during the fucking West Virginia game, guys. Like, that was made in advance. So, like, that shit's not okay. But I don't care that he left for money, right? Like, I, that doesn't bother me. Just don't beat around the bush with it. That's one of the reasons what Miami did didn't really bother me. is Because, like, it wasn't a secret. Kansas State didn't bid enough. You lost a good player. It worked out pretty well for both schools, if I'm being honest here. You know, like, Miami went further, but K- KSU had a great year. And, you know, they would have loved to have Pack, but they did great. And it really allowed Noel to, to, to really thrive and become a star. So that was cool. So, like, I, you know, 
I think we have to do more to regulate it just because like the numbers we're seeing and, and the, the potential harm it's going to do to the, the, the to the actual and I'm not talking about like the amateur model I'm talking about the college sports model because you know you've got there are going to be players like Caitlin Clark who are making three four five million. And then they're going to be Texas Tech basketball players making twenty five thousand. Then they're going to be like a a random girl on Instagram who is in the track team who makes you know five hundred thousand. Then there's going to be X you know semi pro guy like Ludwig at Tech Golf who makes nothing other than what the PGA gives him. Right, like the the imbalance is going to cause problems if these wild sums keep being tossed around. Right, and some of that though is reality. The NIL, if you can capitalize on your image to make money, go for it. But you know, it is a problem just that like there, there's just no regulation to it right now, because we could do this to where you know you limit some of the top end dollars, it'll go wider instead of shallow. Right, if you're not allowed to pay four million dollars for a quarterback, you'll pay seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for a quarterback, and then go buy a better offensive line too. Right, like you, that'll spread the money around. And I get the argument against it, right? Like, in what in what universe do we ever regulate the free market? But you know, it's one of the reasons I think paying them is the, the shortest answer to this. Let the universities determine their their payrolls within some sort of guidelines and, and go from there. And I think that's the simplest answer to the question, as opposed to praying that boosters are, are going to follow, right? And here's the thing. I'm going to say this because I, I think it has to be said. Things like the Matador Club are shady as fuck, right? Like these are 501c charities that exist to take your money, wash it for tax purposes, and then hand it to guys like Tyler Shuck. Right, like, well, let's not pretend that Tech isn't playing the same game. We're just doing it a different way than like Miami, who's got one very adamant booster with a failing company that he's using to launder money to these kids. Tech is doing it through the Matador Club and behind the scenes too. Like I said, right, like it's it's a secret, not secret that like that you know level agency or whatever the fuck they call it is just a money laundering scheme to give these guys money, and that's all fine with me. But nobody's better than anybody else. And I think if we pay them, you can settle some of this stuff. And, you know, nobody's – if your school isn't doing this, your school's falling behind. So when you see, oh, they bought their team, all you need to think about is that your broke-ass program didn't do the same. Because that's the world we live in. A&M is underachieving with the best roster money can buy, but they still went and bought them. And I'm not mad at them for buying it. I thought it was hilarious that Jimbo did not get up to the mic and just say, yeah, we got a committed group of boosters who really help us out. Because, like, that, the pride of it all was too much for him. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with NIL. Now, I want to talk about, I want to close with a topic. And it's not one we've talked about much because, honestly, the rumor mongering drives me insane. But there has been more heat about Colorado to the Big 12. And I think that's hilarious. So I want to talk about it. Joe and Reed, we'll let you guys kind of have the last words on this topic. Joe, Colorado to the Big 12, you a fan, not a fan? How you feeling? I mean... Let's just call it for what it's worth. I mean, how how much has Colorado, I mean, just from a football standpoint, grown since Deion Sanders went over there? Not saying that I'm a huge fan of it or not, but I mean they're they're being talked about and on every on every level, from a social media standpoint, from a university standpoint, from kids going to their to their university. I mean, who knows what's gonna actually happen, what they put on the field. But I mean, I, I mean, to be completely honest, I, I'm, I'm for it. I mean, I wouldn't. It doesn't bother me as much. I mean, we had some really good games. They kind of kicked, kicked our ass, you know, every time we ventured off down to Boulder. But you know, I wouldn't mind lacing it up with those guys again. I mean, it's, it's football. It's ex Colorado was an ex Big Twelve team. But you know, let's get them back in the fold. I mean, and if we're talking potential expansions, I mean. Give me Colorado, both Arizona schools and and Utah. I mean, let's let's roll with it. But I'm I'm good with with Colorado from a football standpoint altogether. I wouldn't mind seeing them here. It'd be a big draw. Um, but yeah, give me Colorado. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind it. I don't hate it. I'm not in love with it, and I think there's other teams out there that I would rather take. But if we're talking about grand scheme of the potential teams that we we may go and try and get from the Pac-12, I wouldn't, I would include um, Colorado in that, in that list for us to get. I'll rephrase slightly for you, Reed, because I want to come at it from a slightly different angle to close this out. 
You're taking Colorado, which is to say that that's a done deal, which presumes somebody else is coming with them, if not multiple someones. Well, let's say you're only grabbing one more school. You can only take one more with Colorado. You're going to move to the big the big 14 or whatever the fuck, you know, officially until Texas and OU bounce. What number are we even at now? I mean, I've completely lost track of who's in where, but you can only take one more guy with them. It, it, I'll limit it even further. Let's say you can only take it out of the discussed four corner schools, quote unquote. So you've got Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah are your three options that you can take one with you with Colorado. Who are you taking out of that group and why? You know, I, I, I view all three of them um, somewhat the same, uh, just in terms of what value they add, because I feel like um, the three of them, not all of them are, are solid in, in every facet, I guess. Uh, I guess Utah is probably more known for football uh, across the board. They've had some decent basketball programs um, in the last few years, but I don't really know them for that personally. And then you go down to Arizona and they've, you know, historically had one of the worst teams in the FBS recently within the last few years uh, in football, but they've, you know, done pretty much everything you could without winning a national title in basketball, uh, it seems like, um, for, for the most part. Think about Arizona State, they're they're probably the most solid, I would say, out of the three options um, there with, with Colorado as well. Uh, I just think that Colorado really adds – I mean, it's it's Dion. That's what it is, really. It's not even Colorado. Dion was at FAU. I'd want you know FAU in the Big Twelve. <laughs> if I'm being honest, because he draws eyes, he draws money signs to a to a game, to a uh, to a conference because of who he is and what name he has to attach to himself. Um, you know, I guess if I had to pick one, I'd probably go Arizona State. I feel like they're the most compatible to Tech um, in numerous facets. I feel like it's pretty similar school, pretty similar fan base. Um, and, you know, people probably consider us not as uh, classy as, as, as most schools, uh, especially from a student body. Uh, so it's probably a pretty similar at, um, facet that you detach along with uh, some of the sports that we played. Um, I enjoyed when we played them in, in non-conference and football a few years ago with the home and home series. I thought that was a good time. And uh, Tempe is a cool area in, in Arizona. So I think it'd be, uh, it'd be a good area to, to add to the, to the conference. I don't like Utah fans, but I think they are the right answer. You know, I think that if you ask the perfect single school, I think it's Utah. Uh, but, you know, Utah fans suck. The reason why we're not, I'm not, I don't want to speculate more on this is because we've been like, you know, quote unquote, close to this being done for I don't know how many months now. And with the Pac-12 media deal not done, I think we're going to continue to hear more and more and more unease from those camps. And at some point, somebody will finalize this. Either the PAC will sign a deal or they won't. But the Colorado thing has picked up a lot of smoke lately um, and from a lot of reliable sources. And it's worth considering who's coming with them. Because I do not believe Colorado's coming by themselves. They may be the first one to go. They may be the ones who you know break the seal. But they ain't going just to go. They're going because they think somebody's coming with them. Or several someones, much more likely. And whatever the case may be, I do want to end with the thought of just like, isn't it wild that, you know, this time, last realignment bomb, that the Big 12 was on life support? I mean, we had Bob Bowlesby as our commissioner trying to fend off ESPN from breaking up the conference to the AAC, right? Like, it's just insane how quickly this changed with a new commissioner and a program and a conference more committed to the programs it has and trying to build as best it can. Um, you know, will we catch the Big Ten and SEC? Almost certainly not. But you can be the best basketball progress, pr- conference. You can be a fun football conference. You can continue to try to build baseball and, you know, pick a couple of Olympic and non-revenue sports you want to dominate, right? OU's leaving, so and OU and Texas are leaving, so they're taking the tops off softball. That's going to open it up for somebody else to sit in that role. Maybe they can go be a new perennial power. You know, maybe maybe this we become big track programs. It's always kind of been an SEC thing, Tech being maybe one of the bigger players in Texas and in, in, in the Big 12 track space. Maybe we can go be, I don't know, golf. Just, just there's room for this conference to thrive, and I think it's just kind of insane how much it was expected for the Big 12 to fail and how none of those predictions came true. And we're, we're sitting pretty. I think we're in a better spot than the ACC. I know we're in a better spot than the Pac-12. So we'll see how it all plays out. 
I don't like Deion Sanders as a coach that much. I'm still waiting for less flash, more substance. Um, but there is a good chance that, you know, if they come, he's going to be a huge star. So just get ready to hear about it. Um, Reckham, everybody, we will be back very, very soon. As I said, Kendall's going to record a solo episode that we're going to drop at some point this week. We also have a very, very special interview coming up tomorrow. Don't want to spoil it. I'll drop the name once we've recorded it, that we're going to record that tomorrow, most likely. And we'll have that one out, hopefully tomorrow, if not Thursday. We're going to continue moving forward with our advanced recording schedule. Um, and once again, in case you missed the last episode, Joe is our newest contributor. He, this is his second episode with us. Um, it's good to have him along for the ride. Joe, say hi to the Hello, people. Hello, everybody. Much appreciated, especially for you guys having me on. I really do. I really do enjoy it. Joe is, fun fact, if you didn't know, Joe is our first contributor outside the original Viva the Matadors SBN team. Now that we've left SBN, we can start actually doing things like that. Um, So we're going to continue to come up with new fun shows for you guys. I was here with Reed, Jack, and Joe. Like I said, Kendall will be back soon, and Chris's mailbag will be back, and you'll probably hear from him again sooner than that. Um, You'll hear from us very, very soon. And let us know, you know, comments, DMs. You can come. We drop all, all podcasts are published through Viva's article pages, so you can always comment there, too. We'll see it. Let us know what you want to hear about. Let us know what you don't want to hear about. You think we focus too much on a topic? You think we say something you don't like? You wish we would do X, Y, or Z? All suggestions all the time, always open. Like, subscribe, follow, listen, download, whatever it is you do in whatever major podcasting platform. If you've got one, we are on it. And as always, guys, it was a really good day to be a Red Raider. It's always a great day to be a Red Raider. Wreckham, we'll talk soon.